Perfect. Awesome. Well, we're here and we're ready. So that is a very good thing. This morning, I want to talk, as we talk about becoming beautiful, I'd like to take a journey with you all. Beauty through the ages. Becoming beautiful. Ancient Egypt. Lots of eyeliner, long braided wigs, a slim figure, and golden skin. Ancient Greece. Bleached curls, which they bleached with vinegar, and unibrows. It was very in vogue to have a unibrow, and so women that did not have a unibrow had to sort of like pencil or like smudge it in, much like we shape our brows. They did that too, but just all the way across. The unibrow was very hot. <laughs> Medieval Japan, they had floor-length hair. This is my favorite eyebrow trend of all the eyebrows. They shaved their brows, and then they drew smudgy ones like two inches higher, so they always looked surprised. <laughs> they had very tiny lips. Oh, and they because their faces were painted white, it would make their teeth look yellow, so they thought it looked better just to paint their teeth black. So, medieval Japan. Renaissance Italy. High foreheads. If you did not have a naturally high forehead, you would pluck all of this hair to get that raised up a notch. And they started using bleach to get that strawberry blonde hair and the curls. Also rounded stomach and pale skin. So I could be down with that for sure. 18th century France, an oval face with a double chin was good. Rosy cheeks, gray powdered, gray or white hair. They powdered it every day or they wore gray or white wigs and fake moles to cover up their smallpox scars. So instead of just like caking makeup on, they would like stick on like a fake beauty mark, like a black patch. 18th century France. The 20s, the slim athletic figure was all the rage as were bobs and dresses that showed the knees. It was a whole different style shift. And then the 50s, the full curvy figure came back Perfect skin, shapewear, and the infamous cone bra. Very popular in the 50s. Then with the 80s, big hair, bold color, eyeliner for everyone, and they started to appreciate a little bit more diversity of beauty. So it wasn't just your blonde haired blue eyes that got all the attention. We started to recognize that there was other kinds of beauty in the, in the 80s. And so as we talk about beauty this morning, there's something that's really important to establish, and that is that cultural beauty is a moving target. It's a moving target. What was beautiful five years ago isn't necessarily beautiful today. And so often when we think of beauty, we think of these standards that we simply can't meet. We don't measure up. I, for instance, would have had a terrible time in ancient Greece because I just can't grow a unibrow. There's nothing there. When you think about it that way, with the perspective of hundreds of years and trends that change and seem absurd, it seems absurd that we try so hard to fit into the trends, doesn't it? It seems so ridiculous how much we strain and stress and work to fit trends that aren't even going to be around in five years. Imagine having to go from the slim figure of the 20s to the full curvy figure just two decades later. What are you supposed to do with your body? It is what it is, right? And it, it is ridiculous, but at the same time, it feels important. It feels important for us as women to be beautiful. 
And so I thought we should look also at the, at the dictionary definition of beautiful, of beauty, and this is what we have. A combination of qualities such as shape, color, or form that pleases the aesthetic senses, especially the sight. That is our working definition of beauty. And so we're going we're gonna to start with this definition and we're going to build onto it a little bit as we go. This morning, we're going to dive into the book of Esther, and I really love this book. Not just because Esther's awesome, although she is, but I think that it speaks actually quite a bit to the idea of beauty. And so for our context, you know I love this timeline right behind us. You can see where, no, we can't see where Esther is. Oh yeah, there she is, all the way towards the end of that break between Daniel and Nehemiah. And so basically what's happened is this story is set in the Persian Empire, and the Jewish people, the Israelites, have sort of been oppressed and conquered by various people groups. And right now, the conquerors are the Persians. And so they're scattered, they're oppressed by a foreign power, and there's a king, and his name is Xerxes. And at the outset of Esther, when we open up in chapter 1, he's having a party. And it has spiraled into drunken revelry. And so he calls on his queen, the beautiful Vashti, to come and sort of parade herself around for the men so they can all appreciate her beauty. And she says, no, I'm not coming. And Xerxes doesn't take that very well. And so what he decides to do is to dethrone her as queen. And they start a hunt for a new queen. And that's sort of the setting of our story this morning. And so when we meet Esther, she is an orphan. She's been raised by this older cousin named Mordecai. And when we first meet her, what we learn about her is that she is really, really, really beautiful and lovely. So that's Esther. And I think as we, as we start to dig into this story, we can learn different things about beauty, not just because she was beautiful, but also in the way that she responds to her beauty and the beauty around her. So the first truth I think we can pull from this book is that God created beauty. We actually need to go all the way back to the, a bit farther to get to the root of this, all the way back to Genesis. Genesis 1.27, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Jumping down a little to verse 31, it says, Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. So as you're reading in Genesis, if you've read the creation story before, you'll see God created the birds of the air, and it was good. God separated the heavens from the earth, and it was good. All of the things that he does. But this, this instance, when God created men and women, when he made human beings, we read that it was very good. God was so pleased with these people that were made in his, in his image. And then we read especially about the creation of woman in Genesis 2.23. This is what Adam says when Eve is presented to him. He says, at last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And so when Eve enters the scene, Adam is so overwhelmed, and not just by her presence, although we know he was lonely among the animals, but because of her physical beauty, the bone of his bone, the flesh of his flesh, he was overcome by her beauty. She was beautiful to him, and they were naked, and they had no shame, and that was the way that God designed it. And so as we return to the story of Esther, we see that God created Esther to be beautiful as well. 
In chapter 2, verse 7, this is what we read about Esther. It says, This man had a very beautiful and lovely cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. So she's beautiful and lovely. Just in case beautiful didn't tip you off, she is also lovely. So beautiful is Esther that she's brought to the king's harem. Now, I already told you about Vashti. She was the queen. But King Xerxes actually had many, 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 many wives. But only one was queen. And so when they decided that they were going to find a new queen, what they decided was to round up all the beautiful young virgins and bring them in to be presented to the king. They would all become his wives, but he would choose one to be the queen. And so if he chose one for a wife, that was sort of like some of his wives he only met and interacted with one time. They would sort of be presented to him, and then after that they would go to live in the house of the eunuchs. And so Esther's chosen to be one of these women who is eligible to be the next queen. And so she goes to the house of Haggai, who's one of the king's eunuchs. Oh, sorry, I skipped something. Okay, there we go. Haggai the eunuch, he was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids, specially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and the maids into the best place in the harem. For a person who had no choice but to be entered into the king's harem, Esther's actually in a pretty good position. She's impressing people around her. She's getting elevated. Everyone around admires her, her beauty, but also the way that she acts. And so I think it's important to look at, at how Esther responds to this. How does she respond to all of this attention surrounding her beauty. The second truth for us this morning is that our response to beauty matters. In general, I see two really common misaligned responses to beauty. The first is vanity. It's an obsession with beauty. And the second is insecurity. It's downplaying and disrespecting what God created to be beautiful. It's dismissing the beauty that God made in the world. And I think a lot of us, we tend to vilify one, right? We tend to say vanity. Oh, that person is so vain. She's so into herself. That's the easy one to vilify. But did you notice that sometimes we tend to excuse insecurity sometimes? Like, well, we all deal with that. Or it's the one that looks closest to humility. So it's okay to not think that highly of myself because really I'm just being humble, right? But insecurity is damaging. Insecurity is really damaging because it holds us back from what God invites us into. And there's a serious danger in wallowing and living in insecurity. So that's why I think, you know, for me, there have been times when, when beauty was an idol in my life. And there are times when insecurity has taken over. And I think if we're going to talk about idols, I think it's important to take a step back and determine what an idol is. Is. And so I think there are three signs that maybe beauty is becoming an idol for you, for me. The first is that it consumes your thoughts. Is this what you're thinking about day in and day out? Whether it's trends, clothes, hair, makeup, all of these things, or even on the reverse side, is it the insecurity that consumes your thoughts? Thinking about the ways that you don't measure up, looking around and comparing yourself to everyone else around you. The second is that it comes first. 
Are there moments when you're prioritizing your looks over other things, when you don't want to go to the pool because you don't want to put on a swimming suit, or when you don't want to post a photo of you and your family because you don't quite like the way you look in it, or you don't want to take a picture because you don't have your makeup on? I've been guilty of all of those things. Is it coming first before the other things in your life? And then the third thing is constant comparison. God did not create beauty to be by comparison. That's not how he made it. That's not why he made it. Cultural beauty is all about comparison. How do I measure up? Looking around the room and assessing your relative worth based on who else is there, who's prettier, who's thinner, who has better hair. The moment we start comparing is the moment that we stop appreciating the beauty that God has created, not just in ourselves, but in other people as well. We twist and we turn it into something that's ugly. Beauty that becomes an idol is a perversion of true beauty, but it's really easy trap to fall into. And yet Esther, she didn't. How do we know that? Well, I think we can see it in her behavior. This is how she responds. In chapter 2, verse 13, when it was time for her to go to the king's palace, she was given her choice of whatever clothing or jewelry she wanted to take from the harem. She got a shopping spree. For real. Like, whatever she wanted to take was there. Unlimited clothes, jewelry, and all of the goods. I don't know about you, but I would have lost my mind over that. <laughs> it's like the episode of The Bachelor when The Bachelorette gets to, like, go on a shopping spree and then on a fancy date and she's wearing, like, a $1,000 dress. Like, that is what this was like in real life, except there were, like, hundreds of other women, except, like, not just 25. So it was very competitive. But she did get the shopping spree. And then we read here in 2.15, when it was Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted the advice of Haggai the eunuch in charge of the harem. She asked for nothing except what he suggested, and she was admired by everyone who saw her. See, Esther has a humility to her. When she is offered the entire world, she, instead of grabbing everything, making herself as dolled up as possible, making herself look as good as she can, she listens to someone else's advice about what she should wear and what she should choose. There's a humility to her that people recognize and appreciate, to the point where when she meets the king, he is really impressed, and he makes her queen on the spot, right then and there. You see, there was a purpose to Esther's beauty. The purpose is that she would come into the position of queen, that this powerless orphan Jewish girl became the queen with great influence, and her beauty is the thing that got her in the door. And God created that. He made her to be beautiful and to come into this position. But of course, beauty itself wouldn't be enough to save the day. And that brings us to our third truth this morning. And that's that beauty goes beyond outward appearances. Have you ever admired someone from afar? I bet you have. I have. When I was in college, there was this boy. and He was so cute, and he was tall, and he had curly hair and blue eyes, and he was really athletic, and I admired him from afar. I was super into him, although we never had a conversation. <laughs> One day, my table was next to his in the dining hall, and he was sitting with all his bros, and he was talking about women. And he was not using the kindest terms. And he was not using the most respectful terms. 
In fact, it was vulgar, it was demeaning, and it was disgusting. Do you think I still admired him from afar after that moment? No, I did not. He was very handsome, but every time I looked at him from then on, I went, ugh, not for me. This guy has a character problem, right? I know that you know that beauty goes beyond outward appearance. But I think the important reminder is that it goes along with our outward appearance. It's not that outward appearance doesn't matter, but it's about what's in our heart that matters more. It's about our character. And so I think when we go back to this definition of beauty, we need to add in a combination of qualities such as shape, color, or form, character, personality, kindness, all of these things roll into what's beautiful. Because an unattractive inside can make someone's outside unattractive pretty quickly, even in an instant. And so I wish we had time this morning to tell the whole story of Esther because it is an exciting one. Basically what happens is that Esther is called to save all of the Jewish people because the Jews have an enemy in the king's court and he convinces the king to make an edict to kill all of the Jews. They're going to be wiped out. But Esther understood her purpose. And there's this really famous verse from this, from this story that you may have heard before, and it comes from chapter 4. This is Mordecai speaking to Esther. He says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Esther became queen because of her beauty. But it's going to take not just her beauty, but also her influence, her cleverness, her humility, her patience, and her bravery. And she is eventually going to save all of the Jews. She is going to save the day and be the hero of the story. And it takes everything in her. It's an incredible and moving story, and I encourage you to read it when you have time later on. But it's a story that never would have even taken place if Esther hadn't understood the purpose of her beauty. She didn't make it an idol, but she didn't reject it or hide it either. She knew exactly what the role of her beauty should be, and because she viewed it rightly, it wasn't an obstacle when it was time to save the day. Imagine if she had been vain and conceited, if she had allowed her beauty and everyone's comments about it and everyone to build her up and fluff her up, and she became vain and conceited. She wouldn't have stood out to the eunuch. She wouldn't have stood out to the king. She needed to have humility to bring her influence. But imagine also for me for a moment if she had been crippled by insecurity. If anyone had reason to fall into comparison, it was Esther. She was literally being stacked up against 200 or more other women who are all competing for the affection of one king. They're all living in these houses together. They're all getting these beauty treatments. Don't you think she might have looked around the room and thought, oh, that girl's prettier than me. That girl's prettier than me. She has a look that I just don't have. But she doesn't become insecure. If she had been insecure, she would have never won the favor of the king. And these things are true for us as well as moms. See, we fall into the danger of teaching our children to have an incorrect or incomplete view of beauty. We may teach them to idolize it. We may teach them that in order to go out, you must always look a certain way. 
you must be presentable, you must be ready for whatever you're going to see or who you, what you're going to do, to always be looking put together, just so, prioritizing it over other things and not able to enjoy moments because that is in the background speaking lies into us. And we might teach them to fear beauty. We might teach them to be so insecure by comparison, by looking at ourselves as problems to be fixed. When we as moms talk about our bodies, we have to be careful that little ears are listening. When we talk about what's beautiful and what's not beautiful, when we put on our makeup, all of these things, the kids are watching us. And so when we focus on the ways that we don't measure up, we teach them to look for ways that they don't measure up as well. Or for our young boys, we're teaching them to look for women who measure up in a specific way. And so this morning as we talk about becoming beautiful, I have a newsflash for you. You already are. You already are. And I don't mean on the inside. And I don't mean in the way that people say, oh, she has a great personality. Or she has a really pretty face. No. You're straight up beautiful. Because God made you so. Because God made women to be beautiful. And when I look around the room, I see beauty everywhere. God created beauty. And he made the female form to be especially lovely, especially in the eyes of men. But there's probably someone at some time who made you think, and maybe you're not as beautiful as you thought you were. Or maybe that the word beautiful applies to those girls, but not to me. It's a lesson that comes a lot of times in many different ways, and all of them are painful. I know this woman, she's legit one of the prettiest women I know. And she told me the story that she had this boyfriend who would tell her that she was not a 10 by pointing out other girls that he thought were 10s. When I was a freshman in high school, some of the boys made a list. The top 10 hottest girls in the class. There were only 125 girls in the class, so yeah, a lot of girls were on it. The top 10 hottest girls in the class, I wasn't on it. And then they made another list. The top 10 ugliest girls in the class. And I wasn't on that either. And so from that moment on, I self-identified as middle-of-the-road pretty. I'm never going to be in the top, but I'm not at the bottom either. I'm cute enough that some boys are going to like me, but like not all the boys. That was the story that I attached my value and my worth to. And that was how I lived. That's how I viewed myself for a really long time. And I bet you've had some of those defining moments too, where people took the way that you looked and they reduced you to just that. Where they took your beauty and they compared it to some cultural thing that's not even going to last and they made you feel less than beautiful. And sometimes we have this temptation to say, well that doesn't matter because it's what, what's on the inside that counts. But that's not exactly true because God made beauty and he made us to be beautiful. And by saying that that doesn't matter, we're saying that something God created that was very good doesn't matter. It does. Why would he create it if it didn't matter? I think it's important to God. Not cultural beauty, not that moving target that we're always trying to hit, but true beauty, a beauty that reflects character, but also the outside. A body that's strong, strong enough to take care of children, but soft enough for snuggles late at night, and warm enough for comfort, lips that can heal wounds with just one kiss, and a face that is the very first thing your baby smiles at before they can barely even focus. 
You are beautiful in the eyes of your children, and it's time to believe it. The other day I was at this fancy lunch, and I was wearing my hair in this sort of like <coughs> Grecian-inspired updo. And this woman came up to me, and she complimented my hair. She said, oh, wow, you look like a goddess. And I did the thing that we always do, right? I said, it's actually not that hard. You just twist it up, spray it, like pull it out a little, not a big deal, right? My other friend who was there, she interrupted me. She said, hey, she just told you that you look like a goddess. Let that soak in. And I said, you're right. And I did, and I stood there, and I let it soak in. And I gave it a moment. I let the words soak in, and I said, thank you. To the woman who complimented me, and to my friend who reminded me to stop brushing off those kind words. And so the next time your kids tell you that you're beautiful or your husband, I hope that you'll hear those words in your head. The friend who interrupts you and says, let that soak in. Because we do a serious disservice, ladies, to our husbands. If you're married and he tells you that you're beautiful, he means it. He's not just saying it. And by brushing it off, that hurts his feelings. When he's telling you that, it's because he means it, and he wants you to accept it and to feel it. And your kids are the same way. And so don't brush it off, but don't let it twist itself into vanity either. Don't allow insecurity to ruin the truth that someone else is trying to communicate with you. It's really discouraging when that happens, when, they try to compliment, when people try to compliment us, but we don't listen or we try to argue. When we say, oh, you're just saying that, because they're not just saying that. And they believe that it's true. You are beautiful because God made you so. So let that soak in. Lord God, we're so grateful to have a space where we can talk about these things that are personal and hard. And we all struggle with insecurity. But Lord God, you did not make beauty to be that way. You did not make beauty to be by comparison, but you made us each beautiful. You made us unique. You made us wonderful. So, Lord God, I pray that even as we are interested in what's trendy and we make our brows a little thicker because that's fun or a little thinner because that's in, Lord God, we pray that we would, we would keep our focus on the beauty that you have created in us, that we would model well for our children what it means to be beautiful, what it means to accept it. Lord God, I pray that, that any places where we are misaligned in our view of beauty, that you would correct that that you would speak in with a firm yet gentle voice, saying, I didn't make it that way. I didn't make you that way. We thank you for your constant reminder of the beauty around us, the beauty that we see in each other. We pray that that would be even more abundantly apparent this week. In your name we pray, amen.